Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's Focus for Wednesday, March the 22nd, 2023, at 1.12 p.m. Central Time. Today's Focus, Charles Spurgeon's really Really, really bad devotional. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I'm not supposed to say that. Well, let me take that back. Let me take back. Uh, Joel Osteen's really, 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 really bad devotional. Okay. You're okay with that. Yeah, you're okay. It's Rick Warren's really, 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 really bad devotional. Oh, oh, you're, you're okay with that. Bethel's really, really, really bad devotional. Okay, you're okay with that. Like, there's a lot of people I could say their name, or I could mention a church, or I could mention a ministry and say they put out a really, 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 really bad devotional, and I would get this kind of a response. But there are, there are other devotionals. If I dare refer to them as bad, if I dare refer to them in a negative way, I'm not going to receive cheers. I'm going to, re- I'm going to receive boos. I'm going to receive very negative emails. How dare you? That is one of the greatest devotionals in the history of the church. How dare you question it? I remember relatively early in my Christian life, I kept hearing Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. You've got to get this devotional. This will change your life. This will revolutionize your life. This is the greatest devotional in the history of humankind. And I started reading it going, this is, what is this? And I, and I had major, major issues with it. And I, of course, I was told that I was arrogant and that I thought I was too good for him. Okay, whatever. There were other devotionals that people are like, you've got to get this devotional. It will revolutionize your life. It will change your life. My entire Christian life transformed dramatically when I read this devotional. And, and to be honest, I think every time someone has told me that about a devotional, I've always looked at them and was kind of like, this revolutionized your life? This changed your life? Never really understood it. Now, if you're listening to the Today's Focus podcast episode yesterday, I asked basically a question in regards to quiet time. And I asked you, is it time to quit your quiet time? Is it time to get rid of that notion of a daily quiet time, a daily devotional? Because has the daily quiet time idea actually done more harm? Has the daily devotional, daily quiet time kind of model, has it actually done more to separate people from the actual meaning of the text? Has this model of 
Christian discipleship, Christian growth, this daily devotional concept, has it had a profoundly negative impact on individuals and on Christians at large? Now, yesterday I read an article. I didn't read the entire article. Uh, You can find it, I think, at Christianity Today. I don't know if it's still on the front page, but it basically asked the question, is it time to kill? Is it time to quit your quiet time? And they gave these examples, right, from people who teach in Bible colleges and, and seminaries and, 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 and all of these, you know, institutes of higher learning where they bring in all of these students who, who are committed Christians, who in many cases raised in the church, who say they love the Bible, say they engage the Bible every single day, but immediately once you start trying to teach them, you realize these guys have, these guys and girls have no concepts of biblical context, of hermeneutics, of theology. They don't even really know the text, but they would tell you, no, 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 I engage the Bible every day. And when you do a little bit of digging, they did daily devotionals, which is great that they did daily devotionals, but somehow this daily devotional, daily quiet time concept seems to have only produced biblically illiterate people who seem to think the text is all about them and seem to have no concept of, no, 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 no. You don't go looking for yourself in the text. You go figuring out what the text says by what it means. So we talked about that yesterday, and we I brought up some where I laid the blame, and, and you can go back and listen to that episode. I think it's it's very I think it's very valuable and worth your time. Typically, I don't say that about my episodes, but in this particular case, for whatever mistakes I made in it, I think I think it's worth your time because I, I think I raised some serious questions. So, and and in that, I mentioned, in that episode, I mentioned the famous, famous devotional by Charles Spurgeon. Let me give you a little historical background about the famous devotional. Here's what happens. Now, if you don't know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of England's most popular preachers during the second half of the 19th century, okay? And I mean, he still extremely famous and extremely well-known. I started hearing about Spurgeon early in my Christian life, and uh, I, I don't even know the first thing I read from Spurgeon. I know very early on, I bought a collection of Spurgeon sermons. It was like a five-volume set. Uh, then the Treasury of David, his like expansive kind of commentary on the Psalms um, is... I, I definitely use that frequently, and I just kept hearing Spurgeon, 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 Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon got me in a lot of trouble because the independent fundamental Baptist world was like Spurgeon, 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 which is just so weird. You'll, you'll, you'll understand in a minute. But I kept hearing about Spurgeon. In fact, in my independent fundamental Baptist church in Papillion, Nebraska, every quarter, right at the front of the church, kind of there on the... I, you wouldn't really call it an altar, but they'll kind of call it an altar. Uh, they would place these, they were like little pamphlets, and they contain like two or three sermons by Spurgeon. And the church subscribed to, I don't even know which ministry was publishing them, but they came in every quarter. Now, most of the people in the church may have picked them up. I don't know. They, nobody obviously was reading them, but I devoured them. Every time those things showed up, I ran to the front of the church. I would grab a copy, go home, highlight, read, 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 read every single word because I just, well, you you place anything in front of me that has words in it, I'm going to devour it. So I'm reading Spurgeon, 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 and I start noticing, hmm, 
Spurgeon seems to believe in election, and Spurgeon seems to definitely be a Calvinist. And wait a minute, my independent fundamental Baptist church thinks Calvinism is like of the, you know, was birthed in the 18th level of hell. And so between that and a school that I was attending, next thing you know, I'm I'm starting to embrace a reformed understanding of soteriology. I'm moving towards Calvinism, which got me in all kinds of trouble in that church, got me thrown out of the Bible Institute. It was a, it was a crazy time. But there were the ones providing <laughs> the Spurgeon sermons that was teaching the very doctrine that I got kicked out of the Institute for even entertaining. It was weird. It was like, no, you gave me the sermons that taught it. Okay, like, were you not reading the things you were handing out to everyone? It was so insane. It was so insane. And they're like, Spurgeon didn't really believe that. So I brought like all five volumes of his sermons, all marked. Like, here's a sermon called Election. Here, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm going, I'm like, what are you talking about? He holds to the five, the, the tulip, as some would say. I'm like, what are you ref- talking about? So Spurgeon got me in a lot of, a lot of trouble. Well, actually, the church got them got me in trouble because they provided me the doctrine that then they then said I couldn't believe. It was weird, but hey, churches love to hand out content that don't actually read. I, that, I'm con- I am so convinced of that. So convinced of that. It was it was people in that church when I first came there. I was you know carrying like an NIV or something. I'm like, no, King James only. So they gave me a book that supposedly proved to me the King James only perspective, and I had to come back and tell them. This book actually argues against your perspective. Maybe you should read the books you tell me to read. Maybe. Okay. All right. But I digress. I digress. But Spurgeon, I mean, I don't know about your Christian experience, but Spurgeon was everywhere, everywhere. And of course, his famous, famous devotional morning and evening. Now, if you go back in time, you'll realize the way this is, this is how they were originally published. This is how they were originally published. Spurgeon published many books, including a morning devotional in 1865 called Morning by Morning, and an evening devotional in 1868 called Evening by Evening, and then over time, it became Morning and Evening, and it was all put together in one volume, all right? Now, for For over a hundred years, Christians have begun and ended their days with these devotional classics. Christians all around the world have started their day and ended their day with Morning and Evening by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He, I mean, you speak of Spurgeon in almost tones of reverence. I was at a, a church in Kansas City, Missouri for a... It was like a kind of like a preacher's conference. It wasn't one of those conferences where you had to pay money. It was just a church bringing in speakers. It was free. Nobody was charged. It was really good. Dealing with lots of theological and doctrinal issues. And they told, they they basically said, hey, here in Missouri, I can't remember at what school, they had Charles Haddon Spurgeon's entire library, like his desk, all of his books. I don't know how they ended up with it somewhere in Missouri or Kansas City, wherever it was located, and you could go and see all of his books and his desk. Again, there was lots of reverence to Spurgeon um, and, and all the different theological worlds I've found myself. I think the only time I never heard about Spurgeon when, when it was when I was a Lutheran. You didn't hear much about Spurgeon when you were a Lutheran, but in every other circle, Independent Fundamental Baptist, Southern Baptist, Reformed World, Spurgeon, 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 Spurgeon. But here's the question. 
this well-renowned, world-renowned, famous, devotional, morning and evening, has it contributed to the problem we talked about yesterday, where people engage the scriptures every single day, but they don't really understand the scriptures because the devotional material they're using is actually detrimental to their biblical understanding and not helping them. Would that be true of the world-famous morning and evening devotional? I kind of gave you a hint yesterday, but late last night, I, 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 what I did is I subscribed to morning and evening on the YouVersion Bible app the YouVersion Bible app. And what it does, whenever you subscribe to that reading plan, morning and evening on the YouVersion Bible app, whenever you subscribe to it, it just starts you basically in January the 1st. They just It just removes the date. So we'll just say day one, day two, day three, day four. But as soon as I started looking at it, I'm like, okay, because I've gone through Charles Adams Spurgeon's devotional multiple times. I can't remember how many times in December I'll buy a new notebook, maybe a new copy of Morning and Evening by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, because I like the physical copy, a couple of pencils, and I'll just dedicate a year going through the devotional. I've been through it many times. So as soon as I saw, I was like, oh, this is like January the 4th. So I think it's January the 4th, Morning and Evening by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You can look it up anywhere online. And I, I was looking at, so I'm going to go to the Version Bible app. And I'm going to explain what I saw. Here we go. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, the Version Bible app. Where did I put it? Here it is. Okay. Now, um, day four. Yes, day four. So on day four, the morning scripture is 2 Peter 3.18. We referenced that yesterday. The evening devotional for March, for March the 21st, which was yesterday for me, or day four, in the way they, they they break it down. Again, it was technically, if you're looking at the devotional according to the actual dates, it would be January the 4th. But for me, it was March the 21st, day four. And, and the evening scripture was Genesis 42, 8. Genesis 42, 8. Let me read the actual scripture. Genesis 42, 8. I read this yesterday to you. Genesis 42, 8. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. That's the scripture for the devotional. Now, unless someone stops and goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me read this whole chapter. What's going on? Why does Joseph know his brethren, but they don't know him? Unless you start asking some questions, you're not going to have any context. And that's what the whole article yesterday that we talked about, it's time to quit your quiet time, is because too many people engage their devotional material by just, oh, Genesis 42, 8. They read that, they read the devotional, and they walk away. They don't really understand the verse or the context. They have no idea what's going on. But what do you think Charles Haddon Spurgeon did with Genesis 42, 8? What do you think he did? I, I mean, I would, I mean, if we were in a group of people right now, I would have everyone make their predictions. Like I would tell, tell you, grab a piece of paper and write down how you think Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote a devotional on Genesis 42, 8. What do you think he said? Well, here's the devotional. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. I should have get the, there's an audio version of morning and evening. I should have just gotten the audio and play it for you, but that's okay. You'll, you'll have to hear my reading of it. Not near as dramatic or as professional, but that's okay. Here we go. Evening devotional for day four. If you have the physical copy of morning and evening by Spurgeon, look at January the 4th evening. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. That's all it quotes. That's all it quotes. Doesn't even give the actual scripture reference. It just has that, at least in this edition. 
right? And here we go. This morning, our desire went forth for growth and our acquaintance with the Lord Jesus. Now, the morning devotional was on Peter about growing in grace and knowledge. Okay, now it, we read a little of that devotional and it, again, didn't offer really any, con- it just, he just kind of took some words and just ran off in his own direction. So he makes a reference back to that. This morning, our desires went forth for growth in our acquaintance with the Lord, Jesus. It may be well tonight to consider a kindred topic, namely our heavenly Joseph's knowledge of us. Wait, what? Our heavenly... Jo- so Genesis 42, 8 says, Joseph knew his brethren. Spurgeon's going to take that and say, our, and make it now about our heavenly Joseph knowing us. That has... Genesis 42, 8 hasn't, is not even anywhere close implying a heavenly Joseph knowing us or our heavenly Jesus knowing... It, it's not doing that. This is... Okay, let's see how he handles this, all right? This was most blessedly perfect long before we had the slightest knowledge of him. His eyes beheld our substance, yet being imperfect. And in his book, all our members were written. When as yet there was none of them. Now, let's stop right here. Let's stop right here. Now, Spurgeon is obviously making references to some other scripture. It's not quoted here, obviously, but you can probably hear some of the language. All right, so this knowledge of our heavenly Joseph, again, has nothing to do with Genesis 42.8. This has nothing to do with it. And this is the frustrating part, though. You can say that God's knowledge of us was blessedly perfect long before we had the slightest knowledge of him. His eyes beheld our substance yet being imperfect, and in his book all our members were written when as yet there was none of them. Before we had a being in the world, we had a being in his heart. When we were enemies to him, he knew us, our miseries, our madness, and our weak, our wickedness. Now let's stop right here. It is true God had perfect knowledge of us. I got no problem writing an, a, a devotional about God's perfect knowledge of us. But that has nothing to do with Genesis 42, 8. Now, some people have no problem with this kind of thing. Look, well, what Spurgeon is saying is true. The only problem is what he, he's saying about God's knowledge of us is true, but it has nothing to do with Genesis 42, 8. So you're keeping people from actually understanding Genesis 42, 8. See, this would have been much better just to say, tonight, let's consider God's knowledge of us. And then just go to the individual scriptures that speak of God's knowledge of us. Instead of taking a passage from Genesis that has nothing to do with that, because then you keep people from actually understanding Genesis 42. That is what the, yesterday's article was all about, about it's time to kill quiet time. It's time to quit quiet time because that kind of devotional thing is obviously hurting people. Let's read a little bit more what, how he handles this devotional. He goes on, when we were bitterly in despairing repentance and viewed him only as a judge and as a ruler, he viewed us as his brethren and well-beloved and his bowels yearned towards us. He never mistook his chosen, but always beheld them as objects of his infinite affection. The Lord knoweth them that are his. 
It is as true of the prodigals who are feeding swine as of the children who sit at the table. But alas, we know not our royal brother. And out of this ignorance grew a host of sins. We withheld our hearts from him and allowed him no entrance to our love. We mistrusted him and gave no credit to his words. We rebelled against him and paid him no loving homage. The son of righteousness shone forth and we could not see him. Heaven came down from earth and earth perceived it not. Let God be praised. Those days are over with us. Yet even now it is but little that we know of Jesus compared with what he knows of us. We have begun to study him. But knoweth, but he knoweth us all together. It is a blessed circumstance that the ignorance is not on his side, for then it would be a hopeless case for us. He will not say to us, I never knew you, but he will confess our names and the day of his appearing, and meanwhile will and meanwhile will manifest himself to us as he doth not unto the world. Now, you can read some of that, and you could take some of those quotes, and they you could use it in a sermon about God's knowledge of us and our ignorance of him. And you could turn this into a good sermon. You could turn this into a good study. You could say, let's find all the scriptures that speak of God's knowledge of us, and then we could look at scriptures that demonstrate our ignorance of him. It could be a fascinating study. It could be good. The problem is, with devotionals and quiet time material, is people will just look at Genesis 42.8 and walk away going, Genesis 42.8, Joseph knew his brethren. Oh, praise you, Lord, that you know me and forgive me for my ignorance of you. The only problem is that literally has not, that has nothing to do with the actual text. All right? All right? Uh, Someone says, it is beautifully written. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely beautifully written. It's, I mean, I I'm, know I'm, I read through it quickly and didn't go slow and, 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 and pause there and, and, you know, follow all of the punctuation properly and pause at the comma and, and stop at the periods. I, I know I, I could have read it much better so that you could have gotten the full effect, but it is beautifully written. I would challenge you, look it up. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, morning and evening, look at January the 4th and look at the evening devotional. And you'll, you'll see it for yourself. Read it. It's beautiful. Again, you could take lines from this and you could really preach it. But because here's the thing. If, if the devotional is beautifully written, now this is very important. If the devotional is beautifully written, if what the devotional is saying is true, is, is that okay if it completely it ignores the actual text that it's using. If it, if it's actually saying something completely different than the text that is given. No, in other words, what we have a tendency to do, it's beautifully written and what Spurgeon says is true. So it's got to be okay. But my argument is no, 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 it's bad because he's leading people away from Genesis 42, eight. He's not, he's not leading people to the text. He's leading people away from the text. Now some may are, but he's leading them to truth. He may be leading them to truth, but at the expense of the text. When you sit down for your devotional time or your quiet time, what should, what, what should, what's the star of the show? It's the text. Okay, good. All right, good. All right. Uh, someone says my point still stands. Okay. I, yeah. Uh, good. I, 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 that's what I thought you were saying. I thought you were saying that my point still stood. I, I hope I didn't misinterpret your, I thought I thought we were on the same page. I think we're on the same page. 
I'm referring to the person in the chat. Yes, I think I, I your first post, I, I thought you were saying that you got my point and I, I we're, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. But I, I, I just think it's, I think it's dangerous when a devotional, no matter how well it's written, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how encouraging it is, no matter how true it is, I don't care how wonderful, how, how true, how awesome, how beautiful. I don't care how great it is if the, in the end it leads you away from the very text it gives you for the basis of its devotional. Genesis 42.8 has literally nothing to do with what Spurgeon wrote here. What he wrote is beautiful. What he wrote is true about God's perfect knowledge of us. And we should find great comfort in God's perfect knowledge of us. And we should be somewhat saddened and feel guilty for our ignorance of him. All of that is true. But when it's over, I don't know anything about Genesis 42.8. I don't. Now, I think the audience is going to be split here. I think about half of the audience is going to be like, you're just being nitpicky. The, the devotional is beautiful. The devotional is awesome. It, it, it reminded me of God's knowledge of me. I needed to hear that today. So you're just being super critical. I think the other half of the audience is going to be like, well, definitely doesn't help me understand Genesis 42.8. But I think most people for their devotional or quiet time, they don't care about the text. They just care about getting some encouragement. They just care about getting something spiritual. It's, it's, it's as long as they get something about themselves. But Genesis 42.8 has nothing to do with us. It's about the situation Joseph has found himself. And Joseph's found him, well, we, we could talk about all, all, all the situation here, but yeah, I, 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 just, I just don't, I just don't understand. I just don't understand why I guarantee you, half of the audience is going to be like, there's nothing wrong with it. All right, I, that's all I wanted to do today is I wanted to just present this as an kind of a piece of evidence that goes along with what we talked about yesterday. Yesterday, we talked about quitting our quiet time. This is an example of why some people are writing that kind of article, because this is detrimental. This is not good. Now, you could use it for good, right? Now, like if, if this was my devotional for today, I could be like, okay, here's what we're going to do, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab my Bible. I'm going to grab some reference tools, God's knowledge of us. And I'm going to look up everything about how God knows us. He knows every thought. He knows every word. I could go, I think it's Psalm, I want to say 139. I could be wrong. It's, uh, I don't know exactly which Psalm. Hang on, I'm going to have to look. I don't think it's Psalm 139. I don't believe it's Psalm 139. I believe that's a different emphasis. Oh, yeah, Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understand my thoughts afar off. It is Psalm 139. I could go to Psalm 139. I could go to some passages in Matthew, and I can make me a list of all the ways God knows me, and then I could contrast that with all the ways I don't know him. Now, that would be a good study. So Spurgeon's devotional could lead to something good if I allow it. The problem is, is that most people will not do that. They just want that quick little devotional so that they, 
because it's, you know, and they'll walk away talking about how it transformed them. No, it transformed you into becoming completely biblically illiterate. Okay, that's what it transformed you into. But Psalm 139 is a beautiful chapter in God's knowledge of us. All right, we'll stop right there. You can give me your thoughts on all of this. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. It appeared that we had a little bit of an internet issue with uh, the Church One Sermons 2.0 app. If you're listening on that app, give me about 10 minutes and this will be uploaded and then you can hear everything that you missed out on. I don't know what happened. Um, Everything seems to be working now, but it's one of those little temporary glitches. But we'll upload this audio and you won't have those. Those glitches will not be there because we don't record it uh, on the software that we use for Church One or Summers 2.0. We record this on a different platform that had no internet problems. It's weird. The same internet connection, one platform has a problem, the other one doesn't. Isn't that just, it's just so weird how that works. All right. Okay, thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. That is your today's focus for Wednesday, March the 22nd, 